Would you like to know how to operate a successful business in a very integrity-based way where you can tap into your authenticity, make a lot of money, and create massive impact for your clients no matter what type of business it is? Well, if you answered yes to any or all of those loaded questions, uh, you're going to want to watch this episode or listen to this episode of the Just Grow podcast all the way to the end we have on my good buddy Joshua Norris who has an incredible story about how he really started his entrepreneur journey when he was eight, nine years old and been doing it for decades. So it's a really, really cool story. We talk a lot about what's going on in the world of business, but also social media, how it's actually quite destructive for a lot of people in a certain demographic and how to combat that. There's a lot of cool stuff that we shared on this episode of the Just Grow podcast. So you're not gonna wanna miss this episode at all. Before we jump in, I wanna let you know about our Just Grow visions. We've actually made some advancements and made this even cooler than it started as. Uh, It was really, really cool. We started it and it was just this crazy cool idea. This was transforming massive amounts of lives and in a very impactful way but we've optimized it and made it even better. And we put together a free Facebook group on how we're doing all this and help people really gain clarity on what they want and then actually putting together a plan of action and implementation system that keeps you accountable to make sure that you actually turn your vision into a reality quickly. So if you wanna learn how we do that, you head on over to justgrowvisions.com. That'll take you right over to our Facebook group and we go live every Wednesday night. So you can plug in get connected with our community, learn how we do this, uh, all in our free Facebook group. So head on over to justgrowvisions.com. But without further ado, let's jump in this interview with Joshua Norris. It's like, I don't need, how I, the way I would say this, like I got my day to day and I got my company as I'm running and, and the people that uh, on a daily basis, like that I'm important to, right? Yeah. That I'm either helping or running the company. I don't need any notoriety for yeah. it. Like, quite honestly, notoriety usually leads to uh, things that I don't really want, which is like talking to people that are trying to get something for nothing right. and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, my podcast started for a specific reason that was just literally to reach out to people and to have conversations with those that I would enjoy having a conversation with and to give a platform to like the people that are never going to be on another podcast because they're interesting to me. Like it's, it's people are fascinating. Like we don't, it doesn't have to be somebody who's got this gigantic audience, but if they're super good at what they do in their niche, that's interesting to me. And I can sit there and talk to them for hours about it because it's not what I do on a daily basis. Right. So yeah, it's, we were even talking on the, on, the, on the last one with JC that was on, and this has always been my thing, is the reason I started it was to connect with people, like yeah. connect and share. I realized at a very core level, like that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I, I love just sharing and connecting. And so when I feel like there's someone that's not necessarily on my vibe, it's like there's a disconnect. Yeah. It's hard to actually connect because there's something else going on. There's an agenda. Like, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, you, you feel it. I know you feel it. I feel it too. Like, when people have an agenda, I'm like, this is going to be in 45 minutes or an hour of my life where, you know, you do your role, whatever. They're, they're still spending their time. But, you know, it's not like, 
it's not this talk or this you know back and forth that's going to elevate your life any <laughs> and and like for me that's all it's about it's like i don't care if i ever do business with the person that's sitting across from me i don't care if this is the last conversation now now i do want that to be a continual relationship of course mm-hmm. but you just never know with people's lives but if there's some value that's added to the audience there's value added back and forth that's fun that's cool but i don't need an agenda like you know it's not freaking sell courses and all this stuff it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah well i think that's why we've really resonated and 100 percent. yeah we're we're cut from the same cloth i can tell like yeah. uh, oh the, does this just roll or do we i don't know i usually just go with the flow <laughs> yeah you've already jumped into a good conversation <laughs> so but yeah man um joshua norris welcome everybody yeah. pleasure the to be man here. the myth the legend yeah no man thank you nick really appreciate you having me on man this is so much fun being on this side of the table right because exactly. you were on that side of the table for me and yeah. i'm like we had a great conversation but i could tell because you're i think you were the first person that had a podcast that was maybe the first or second or whatever and i could tell how much different was being asked the questions yeah and i'm like man because you nailed it like everything you had it in your mind it was free flowing you probably didn't have to think about anything and i thought man that would be a lot easier being on the other side of this so exactly it's a fun ride either way i think i've gotten on a few um not a ton i don't i at one point i thought i was like i want to go on a big podcast tour yeah do that whole thing i'm i don't know i'm still feeling that out but it's fun but anyway like just like what we're talking about, it's fun when you're in a conversation with someone that's like real genuine and you just connect with. Yeah, because I mean, it's rare in this world, right? Because especially when you own businesses, right? So you, you've you had multiple businesses, I've had multiple businesses. We both had businesses, but we've also been in sales and different companies yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And when, at a certain point in your life, you kind of feel like everybody has an agenda when you meet them. Yeah. And this, this is like everything from uh, out in the business world to literally dinner parties at your house, right? You feel like there's this agenda that's going on and it can be exhausting because yeah. you're always on tilt. You're always like, okay, what do I need to do here? What's the, the question? So when you meet someone that's just not trying to get anything out of you, it's a rarity but that also has juice that's trying to accomplish it, something in their life, but they're not trying to accomplish it by leveraging you. Yeah, It's it's a very weird and cool thing. I wish more people could experience that, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, coming back to and why I'm so passionate about what we're doing here is like one of the key components. And I feel like it was a case for me, but I just, I'm never judging people either. It's like everyone's on their path. Yep. But I think where that all kind of stems from and why I'm so passionate about this is a lot of people don't really know who they are. They haven't taken the time to ask the tough questions and acknowledge themselves for like the shit they've done and not proud of. We all have that. There's darkness in this world. But I think that that's where it comes from. People are like actually like hiding from something, the truth. And I think that's why I don't really resonate with those people anymore is because I'm not that I ever really would, but the more you know yourself, the more you stand stronger in like who you actually are, you don't need anything from anybody. Totally. Well, 
to that exact point, right? So I was at the Waste Management Open today, and I was there on Wednesday. And, you know, bless her heart, you know, we're talking couple hundred thousand people at this place it's great people watching if any of you guys have not been to phoenix <laughs> yes, the waste management open don't come during super bowl week like we're in but you know come next year but i i i love people watching and there are so many people out there just trying to impress a whole bunch of people they don't know in a lot of different ways the clothes they wear the way they look uh the drinks that they're drinking the association that they're associating with like you see these circles you see these people that are kind of awkward in those circles but they just kind of want to fit in maybe they're on the 16th or the greenskeeper whatever mm. and when i watch that to your exact point so many people are so uncomfortable in their own skin mm -hmm. i i feel bad for them because at the end of the day knowing who you are is very simple it's it doesn't take a lot of time it takes a lot of time just letting your guard down and be like, mm -hmm. cool, what have I messed up in my life? What am I good at? What do I want to do in life? And then how do I get on the path to that? Knowing that I'm not very good at this, I messed up in this, I'm really good at this, and who needs to be involved in that process in my life? Because not everybody needs all of the quote-unquote friends, business relationships that are in their life now. They kind of hold on to them because they feel like if they don't have that in their life, they're going to miss something. Mm -hmm. That's only because they don't have a clear direction. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've had that in your life, right? Of course. And I, by no means do I feel like I have life figured out. And none of us do. <laughs> I think we're all just acting like we got to figure it figured out and no one has a damn clue. What's going on. <laughs> totally. We all pretend. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm a great poker player. And sometimes, like, I feel like I'm playing poker in life. But at the end of the day, it's like, just figuring out who do I really want to associate with in life? What do I want mm -hmm. to accomplish? And you know, uh, you know, I could ask you, hey, next five years, like, what do you, what do you want to accomplish? I mean, and you can answer that if you want. If you don't, it's fine. But I know that you have a pretty good idea of what your life looks like because mm -hmm. you're you're a humble dude like that. You know, like if I asked you, what do you want to do in the next five years? What would you tell me today? Well, the biggest focus is building a multi-figure company. Okay. Because of the impact that's going to bring to but, the world. Well, and the impact you have with just Grow Visions is, is literally one of the coolest concepts I've ever seen. Because it gives people a version of themselves that they don't even know exists yet. And I was listening to, you know, Patrick Bet David is Yeah, Patrick yeah. Bet David. So it was one of his podcasts. And he was talking about how people that have never made a million dollars a year. How they need to start telling them a version of themselves and saying, hey, I'm gonna make a million dollars a year. And he says, just say it out loud, just say it out loud. And he says, did you say it out loud? Did it feel weird? Of course it felt weird. And, and you know, if you're listening to this and you say that loud, it's gonna feel weird yeah. if you've never made a million dollars a year. He says, but the thing is, is you're getting yourself past that, that conscious mind of, okay, I'm only this, and now you're pushing yourself, so it should feel uncomfortable. And then you go to your, the next level and you keep pushing that and you keep thinking, okay, now your mind starts to think, how do I go to work with this? And that's why I just go, vision is great because you're giving people a visual of, it's not even about making a million dollars a year or whatever, but living their real life yeah. that they want. And now they can see it. And you know, you and I were just talking before the, the podcast starts and you've incorporated something that I think is very special. 
is the coaching portion behind it because it's not just seeing yourself there. It's like, okay, cool. I have a roadmap. How do I stay accountable to that roadmap? And, you know, how did you come up with that? And like, what does that look like? You're turning this into a podcast about me now again. Mm. It's supposed to be on you. All right, man. I, I, <laughs> we're having a conversation, brother. I'm happy to answer, but I want to hear more of your story too. But where did I, where did that come from? Is that what you're yeah, asking? like where did it come from and like what does that look like for somebody? Well, you know, I was thinking, I was at an event in Mexico recently and it just reminded a few of the speakers that were talking about this concept of how your clients are a previous version of you. And so I started dissecting what actually got me here. And I realized it wasn't just a video, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though it was a big piece of it and it really helped me profoundly. It was like, well, what else? Well, it was a lot of the, the daily habits. Yep. It was the, hey, setting an action plan and saying, I'm going to stick to this and make sure that I'm staying on task. What I like to call like building a staircase to your goals. Totally. Your so it's just like, hey, take the step, take the step, take the step. Yep. So it's not this like ambiguous goal of like oh yeah one day it's not no like hey we're we're getting there and so i just basically like what it, what's a program that i can create that increases the odds to them actually getting where they want to go yeah like that's all it is is like just a place that something that will like yeah, increase the chances of them winning. I love it because, you know, a lot of times where people have like a big vision for their lives, right? They, they The reason they flounder is just because they don't have a roadmap of what they want to do. Mm -hmm. There's a book uh, written by Zig Ziglar. It's called See You at the Top. And it's funny because you're talking about like, is it up here somewhere? Yep. Yeah. Now you got amazing books, but you remember the little staircase that he has? Like it's literally in the book and it's like this staircase of things that you do. Yeah. That's That's how life works. It's like you don't have to look at the top of the staircase, you really don't have to even look back. What's the next stair I need to, to climb? Mm -hmm. And you know, this, this love of your life. So when you're trying to succeed in your career, and this is, you know, somebody who's self-employed, somebody who's, you know, just have, you know, has a job that they're, you know, super successful at in sales, whatever. What's my objective? And then start looking at those little stair steps. How am I working on myself? What is my action plan on a daily basis? Awesome. What do I need to do once I accomplish this? How do I make sure my customers are successful mm -hmm. after I sell them? Because nobody wants to have this revolving door business in anything like your business, my you know digital business. You want to make sure they have an ongoing success. So yeah. like the coaching program, I feel like when you put that in place, you realize that and, and again, I, I know it's a, it's a newer company, but I think you realize super early, no, they need this. They need this portion because mm -hmm. I can have them see the version of themselves that they didn't see before. But now they need to have that accountability to themselves mm -hmm. and somebody else. And it doesn't even matter who that somebody else is, but they have that accountability to get there, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right, your turn now. All right, my turn. Time to dive in. Yeah, you you keep telling me that you have a wild story. I don't think I've heard too much of it. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I uh, started very young. I was an entrepreneur from like uh, the time I was like eight years old. I think that was the first time, um, you know. And I won't bore anybody with specifics. But basically, I live in the sticks. I grew up in Safford, Arizona, and my uh, uh, my dad, and my stepmom, they had 
eight acres and we lived on a big property that you know had you know maybe 30 or 40 different people that lived out there and i always wanted to have more and this, this had to do with i love basketball so i wanted to go to every basketball camp loot olson basketball camp and my parents they they did okay but they didn't always have the extra money to do that and i never asked my dad i just intuitively knew that if i went out to all my neighbors and i asked them hey can i do anything for your landscape shovel rock whatever i could make some extra money doing that so i did i went door to door to every single like all 30 in this whole mile block and i got i think you know, seven or eight customers and it was everything dude from like some good conversion rates there. Dude, well I was adorable back then. I was, <laughs> I was a chubby young kid that had, you know, zeal. I would have hired me. You know, so. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, can I help in any way? Pulling weeds, shoveling rock, yeah. moving, you know, rock, you know, to like driveways because this is all like dirt road, you know, back back then. And then I would get like referrals from the neighborhood and stuff. And this wasn't like nobody had cell phones back then. So it was like people would call my parents' house and, hey, can Josh come over and do this? Can Josh... <laughs> And it went from that to, hey, can Josh house sit and this kind of thing. But what was neat was I started having like this extra pocket cash, right? Just yeah. nothing crazy, just pocket money. Yeah. But I was eight or nine years old. And I was like, oh, I like this. I like pocket cash. And then, you know, it was one thing after another. Uh, I was in the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts like, oh, cool. We have the sales. We're selling popcorn. And my stepmom, I have to attribute this to her. Like, you know, I said, ah, I'm selling popcorn. And you, you know how it is. There's like 19 different prizes you can earn. <laughs> you know, it's all like tiered. And she's like, well, I'm going to take this to the courthouse. That's where she worked with my, uh, uh, my coworkers. But if you really want to do this, you need to go door to door. You know, at this time, I was like 10 or 11. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I can go door to door. So she went with me three times. And I had no shame. I'm like, hi, I'm Josh. I'm with the Boy Scouts. We have popcorn, you know, this and that, blah, blah, blah. How many would you like? You know, I had my whole pitch down. Oh, right? man, I love that. Not, we had, would you like some? It's how many would yeah, you like? Yeah, how many would you like? <laughs> And, and she went to three, and then she literally sat in the car the rest of the time. She would just drop me off in neighborhoods, and I would do my thing. And, you know, I, I probably only had like a 10% conversion rate of every 10 doors. But I had this thing in my head, and I don't know who taught it to me because it wasn't my, my parents. It was just, if I knock on enough doors, I'm going to get some sales. That was it. Numbers. It, it, it was a numbers game. And I had, so I'll tell you, it was a sleeping bag that was on this, uh, this tier. I'm like, I'm going to get the sleeping bag because we had this big camping trip with the Boy Scouts. And I'm like, I'm going to win that sleeping bag because my parents were going to buy it for me. They just weren't. And I don't remember how much it was, but it was like like almost $1,000 worth of popcorn I had to sell to get this thing. I'm like, cool. I'm going to knock on as many doors as possible to get that. And I did, and I did, and I did. And then finally I got the sleeping bag. But then I also won every prize that was even possible in this whole tier thing. And it... Even at that age, it kind of gave me that confidence where, all right, anything I really want to do, I, I can do. And I was super into basketball at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have the talent or ability a lot of people did around me, but I had work ethic like no other. So I went to Ludo basketball camp a couple of years and really worked on that skill. And it just kind of refined me uh, of knowing that in my tool belt, I could always do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, I've had tons and tons of ups, downs, failures, like we all do and right. stuff. But like, I can really attribute it back to salt and popcorn, knocking doors to giving me like that initial confidence. I still have to, to this day. So That's so cool. And I'm glad that that makes total sense. And it's interesting because, uh, do you happen to know Mike Ligori by chance? I don't know. I someone I'll connect you with because cool. I think you guys would get along. Um, just saw a dude and I was at a cabin with him and a bunch of other friends this past weekend and he was talking about this concept of the law of large numbers. Okay. Have you heard of this? I've heard something of it, but not maybe not specifically Well, like I mean, that. that's basically what you're explaining. It's yeah. like do enough reps yeah. and the averages play out. And then it's all about just like, okay, keep feeding the machine and then also work on optimizing so that the conversion rates get higher. Yep. And that's life right there. Just what you're talking about. You knock enough. As long as you just go knock doors and present an offer, some people are going to buy. Totally. And then if you refine your sales skills a little bit more, maybe you go from 10% to 12%. Yep. So then it just like keep, but you, the key is, is constantly feeding that machine. Totally. I heard a, something just a couple of days ago. It made me laugh. And it was about, you know, a guy who was trying to get a date. Yeah. And, you know, one of his best sales friends says, dude, I'm going to get a date tonight. You trust me. I'm just going to ask enough people. And, you know, I guess apparently the story goes, they sat <laughs> at a bar and just every girl that walked by, Hey, was that going on a date tonight? And no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. 17 times. Right. About 17 times. Like, yeah, sounds good. All right. So he, he got, he got his date and, and the dude, you know, his friend was like dumbfounded. Like that's all it takes. He said, yeah, it's just a numbers game. And that, that's really all it is in sales. But to go to your point, exactly, you can go through the numbers game and start getting your sales, but then you just refine your process. You figure out what people want. What I realized that people wanted, back in the popcorn days, I'm like, I didn't know it's the first several doors. I'm just like, hey, you stupid kid. But I realized that they wanted to help the youth. Like, mm -hmm. nobody wants to not help the youth. So I started putting that in my pitch. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a young Boy Scout. You know, it goes back to the local community. You know, how many you know, bags would you like to buy? And I'd smile, you know, and, and in the smile thing, I would learn after reading some sales book when I was older. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, that, that, that's a good thing. Because if you're smiling and then you're the youth, who's not going to give 10 or 15 bucks right. if they have it? You know, not everybody has it. I get that. But it's just then refining your process. So, you know, when I would go on uh, to own my own company and I've owned a bunch of companies, my digital space, right? I started that when I uh, got done with Gannett, right? I had um, worked in the health club business and I did lead box. That was my first job. And for those of you that yeah, don't know, lead box. I don't know if you, yeah, yeah. So, so lead boxes. You go into a restaurant like US Egg right here and it would be just a little box that sits on the counter and it says win a free membership to at this point in time, Pure Fitness. And you fill out a little thing put the slip in and then somebody comes in on a weekly basis, they would collect those and they would pick a winner. That, that's all lead boxes. Okay. But I started at Bally Total Fitness and this program we had, uh, I think 400, no, not, not that many. I think we had like 200 at that point in time because I only had six clubs here. But then I got hired on to Pure Fitness. Like somebody, some dude just came up to me at church one day, knew that I ran the program for, for Bally's and he said, hey, you need to come work for me. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. 
<laughs> so uh, his name is Leon and he's like, yeah, you know, come interview with us and stuff. And they wanted to start their program and uh, went in like, oh, this is, it was very intimidating at the time. I was 19. I was already being paid far more money than I thought I was, should be at 19, mm. um, which, I mean, I'll just tell you now, it was $32,000 a year. It's not a lot of money. But at 19, when you have no college education uh, or any of that, and I was just kind of put in this management position because the dude left that I was running this at Bally's. And then this guy comes up to me at church and says, hey, I'll pay you more. Come over to us. And I go through this interview process. And I'm like, oh, awesome. So, of course, I said yes. And I went out and I put together the lead box program. And at that time, they had uh, 10 clubs. So I had 400 boxes all around the valley. And I had two guys that worked for me that went to collect them. And one on the west side, one on the east side. And then I usually collected like Scottsdale and Phoenix. And it was cool because you got to meet so many different business owners. But I saw at a very a simple level how marketing worked. Mm. Marketing was all about how many boxes can I have out there yeah. that people can enter something that they're interested in. You know, when you'd fast forward to today, well, you can, it could be a click funnel. It could be any sort of way that somebody can convert, but how many opportunities do I have for people to convert? So that was the antiquated way that I in, ended up taking and creating the first digital product that ever was available. So in back in 2008, it went from the lead boxes or in all these different companies. The big problem was if somebody were to walk into an Arby's, for example, and fill out because they're, you know, about to eat seven different sandwiches and they're like, oh, I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow. Yeah, I want that free membership. <laughs> it might have been six days before one of my guys or girls went to collect that lead and then the salesperson could call it, right? Mm -hmm. So they might even forgot. Yeah. But then 2008, QR codes and uh, mobile websites were brand new at the time. And I had the idea, and I'm like, why don't we just combine those? Like mobile websites were brand new. You remember the whole pinch zoom? If you're watching this and you're younger than 30, you don't, but you used to have to pinch zoom everything, right? Okay. So this was just a website that was only for mobile and you would switch. So if you even looked at the URL, it wasn't like abc.com, it was m.abc.com, mm -hmm. like it would switch. So, this was very simple, name, phone number, email, after they would scan a QR code, which nobody knew how to do back then, by the way, or you could text, you know, uh, text marketing, right? So you could text this time pure to 22877. Boom, they text that, they get a link, take them to the QR code or to the, uh, the website. The QR code was tough because nobody had a QR code scanner. Hmm. And it's not like today where you can just like open up your phone and your phone uh, camera and it scans. No, you had to have like a scanner and all this whole thing. Interesting. But point was, we switched it from all the boxes to these little displays. So it would have the QR code and then the text. And we put that into all 400 locations. What happened was insane. Number one, our leads went up. And it wasn't like crazy. I think we were up maybe 50% maybe from where we were before. But here's what was cool about it. They were instantaneous. Yeah. So it went right to the GM. And the GM could filter it to his sales guys. So we're not waiting now six days or less to actually get that lead. And is it real? Oh, no. These people are interested now. They literally just did it at Arby's right now where they're feeling terrible about what they're about to do and about to eat. And they want to be in that conversation. Yeah. 
and our guys would start hammering the phones. And the conversion rate went through the roof. And the connection rate was crazy. Yeah. But the conversion rate was insane as far as guest shows is what we tracked. And that was like the first verge. I'm like, oh, this is something special. And then eventually, you know, that would, uh, you know, go on to be something that everybody had in all these worlds. Pure Fitness sold. We sold it up to Vision Quest. And I didn't want to pursue that specific product because I'm like, yeah, anybody can do this in my mind. Yeah. But that was... Here's something that I'll say to that as well as like, okay, yes, the numbers. I mean, overall, just <laughs> incredible story and <clears throat> great lessons on marketing and business. And just like optimization, I think about how quickly to get generate leads and be be quick with them, quick responses. Yeah. Because when the lead's hot. Speed the lead. Speed the lead. I love that. But what I also think is that you had an incredible offer essentially because what you're saying is like these people just ate an RV sandwich they're not feeling good about themselves and then totally. they put their information which you know I've been lately I've just been diving in a lot more sales mm-hmm. I've done sales in the past and I've even have an experience where I used to sell candy bars when I was uh, playing in the baseball like when I was world famous uh, chocolate bars I don't know I forget what those are like the the most popular ones but yeah I, I yeah. which ones they were but uh I have forgotten at times is the key to sales is you're solving a problem. And sometimes like even better is like you're almost when someone you're not that you created it, but you were tapping into a market that had instantly had a problem after they ate something that they didn't feel good about. Totally. So it's like, I think that's such a lesson is like how, it's all about solving problems. So it's like, where can you find people that have problems and then solve them quickly? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, you know, with that particular program, I knew what worked best for us was people that were eating unhealthy. That, that's why a lot of my boxes of the 400, it was, you know, I use Arby's. Like that was arbitrary because I had uh, a franchise out here that had it in 15 locations. But every Filiberto's, every Rolliberto's, every Aeroberto's, Every Berto's out in Arizona, and if you're out here, you understand what I'm saying. I had it in every one of those, and I had it right on their front counter because I knew for a fact that if somebody was there and they're about to order that California burrito, that they're going to you know, digest a 1,000 calories, and then they look at the box, they know they should work out at some point, that that's not great for them. So obviously, it's there as, as an opportunity. Going to what you're saying with sales, that's what a lot of people I think miss. There's such a um, misconception with how people see sales in this world because a lot of times we see it on TV, and we'll just talk about like the the public perception, right? You know, you know, salespeople are always trying to be out for themselves, trying to make commissions, trying to do this and that, blah 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 blah. But I, what I will tell you from owning many companies, running many companies. Sales is the lifeblood of all of them. Yeah. And what it's all about is that salesperson solving a problem for somebody and understanding really what that problem is. And every company has a problem that they solve. I'll give you an example. So like Brandendo, we're a digital marketing company. So we do everything from building websites for companies, pay-per-click advertising, search engine optimization. We do you know, display advertising, all that good stuff. 
but I don't teach our sales team to sell a specific product at all because that's stupid. What I do is I say, hey, have a conversation with whoever's making the decisions on their marketing, whether it's the owner, whether it's VP of marketing, whether it's anybody else in, in there, and ask them, what are they having problems with? Because once you understand what their problem is, and a lot sometimes it can be as general as, I need more leads. Mm-hmm. Okay, what kind of leads do you need? Because not you don't just need you know bodies to call. If you, do, if you need that, you just pick up a phone book. It's like, oh, well, I need people that are of this certain demographic, people of, you know, that uh, can afford this type of product. And once you understand that, it's like, okay, here's how I think we can solve that problem. And then you put together a, an actual solution for them. Here's how we can reach that, those people that are searching for it now. Mm-hmm. Here's how we can interrupt people that aren't searching for it, but meet that demographic. And then here's how we can follow people around that have already shown interest that didn't take action through like retargeting mm-hmm. and, and show them. Here's how much it's going to cost you. Here's what we think, what we call the pull through rate is going to be. People coming back to the website, actually taking action. Mm-hmm. People now you can get in contact with. And then they see an ROI. That's just my world. We can do that in anything, mm-hmm. right? So it's always tying back for salespeople. Salespeople should always be looking at the best interest of their customers because any type of sales that's just a one and done is terrible for the company that they're working with. Because if you're selling somebody a product they don't need, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go on Yelp, they're gonna go on Google, and they're gonna leave a negative review. Not every one of them, let's just say it's 10%. But for every one person that leaves a bad review, there's 10 people that had the same experience. We know that. So when you go on and you're like, oh, okay, well, this is a 3.5 stars. And then you see like there's nine one-star reviews. There's 90 people that probably had the same problem, but there's nine that said something. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a challenge. So that's somebody who sold something that was not in the best interest of the customer. So. If you have the best interest of the customer in mind all the time as a salesperson and you know what problems you solve, the sky's the limit on the money you can make, but you always are going to keep that return business coming to you. So for what it's worth, I think everybody young in sales should really take that in mind because solve problems, care about people, and it comes back many, many times. And it really is caring about people. If you truly believe in the product, and people are kind of on the fence and then you don't push for it it's like you're you're hindering them you're not helping them right they need your stuff if you really diagnose that they do absolutely well it's a great point because again going back to like the popular culture of you of salespeople it's like you know they're pushy they you know want to make money and all this kind of stuff and hey if you hire a salesperson that doesn't want to make money, you've got the wrong person. Right. I mean, let's just be honest. Because they, that's why they're doing their job. It's not an easy job whatsoever. When your job is to literally have a solution that you believe in, and if you know, and hopefully they have the values, and if you're a company hiring, you got to hire for values, you got to hire for that. But once they have those things checked off, you want that person to be very hungry to sell a service that's going to help people. And that means sometimes when initially they're told, no, I don't want this. Okay, why don't you want it? Mm-hmm. It's okay to go through rebuttals. 
Yeah. Because as long as your rebuttals are again focused on what the best benefit is for the customer, then it's all good. But if you just give up, well, you're not doing your job. That salesperson isn't getting a commission. The company isn't getting a new customer. That's a problem. So always looking for the best interest and then really kind of pushing past that first no. Because, you know, today, I mean, you and I have been in sales a long time. When was the last time you, you got, or I should say, not when was the last time, but how often do you get somebody, the first time you talk to them, is like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. It's not the case, usually. Yeah. Well, I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying, and I feel like I I can always get a lot better at sales because I have been, I have had the tendency to be that person where it's like, hey, here's what it is. Uh, I don't know. I got to think about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, and I think it came from, it's interesting how life works and yeah. the experiences that you had because I did have that early experience with sales and I did really well with selling the candy bars. Like, yeah. I would even take my, I think there was one point I like, took my sister's box and I just like sold all hers because she didn't want to do it. <laughs> so I was like a savage out there. But then it was interesting because when I first got into on, online entrepreneurship, yeah. I got into some programs that, you know, I did decent at, but I didn't love the product, to right. be honest. And the more I sold it, the more people that I brought on didn't have great results with it. And I think it created this negative association with sales after a while. Dude, I can relate to that more than you know. And I'll tell you a story. So this is back in 2006. And I had uh, just left uh, so Pure Fitness. So I was their field marketing director for a long time. And I ended up working for Gannett. And a good friend of mine got me the job. And my job was in sales, and it was to sell the community paper at the time. So they had the Tempe Republic, the Chandler Republic, Mesa, all the different cities. My territory was Mesa. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm getting out of, you know, this, which you know, it was kind of a, a bleak future. And it's a whole other story in and of itself. But that was a huge company. They owned USA Today. They owned Arizona Republic and then AZ Central. I'm like, I can do this. And they gave me, you know, really good salary. They even guaranteed my commissions for like five months, I think it was, at the time. So I came on guns blazing, awesome. And I learned about the product, and it was this newspaper. And this newspaper was literally just about the city and like different things are going on in the city. It came out uh, four times a week. So the Saturday, Sunday, and there was a Wednesday and a, I think a Wednesday and a, uh, a Thursday and a Wednesday. Like I can sell this all day long. Yeah. So I started going out on sales calls and stuff and you know, in the area, and it was all cold calling. Like I'd gone out with you know, my sales manager, and he taught me how to sales, you know, do cold calls and this kind of thing. And I, I'll never forget, uh, his name was Ken. And, and, and Ken, I still laugh because he was my district manager at the time, takes me out one day. And we're going into this place, and the second we said we were with the Arizona Republic, they're like, Oh, you guys are too liberal. So we were either too liberal, too conservative for everybody we walked into, right? That, that's because everybody has their viewpoint, right? Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, we just wanted to share some things we can do, blah, blah, blah. And we got like chickened out of this place. I'm like, all right. So we get back in the Ken's car. And he had a Pacifico, I remember, at that point <laughs> in time. And we're heading back. And he's like, you, how'd you, how, what'd you think of that? I'm like, no, that was interesting. He says, and he told me, he says, everybody that you're going to go into, if they they have like a political stance, they're going to think you're the other way. That's just the way it works. Yeah. So, but here's how you get past that. And he gave me a couple of you know examples. Like, cool. 
So then I get on my own and I'm cold calling. I'm going to every single business there because it didn't matter if it was a restaurant, anything that was like business to consumer could be in the paper in my mind at this point in time. So in the next several months, I was the top sales guy of all of the East Valley salespeople. I think there was like 15 of us for three months consecutive. And then I had to, I was working with my customers and none of the customers were actually getting any results out of it. Huh. And it, it didn't matter if it was like a half page, full page, color, wh whatever, all the things we sold. And what we were told to sell on was reach and frequency, like anything in, in marketing, right? How many people you're reaching? In this case, 25,000 in this area. What's the frequency? You know, and we, I would try to sell four times a week in that. So people are seeing you if they're, you know, looking, you know, four times a week. So reach and frequency. But once I saw nobody was getting results with this, it started to wear on me. I'm like, this, this sucks. So I went from being the top sales guy to, you know, middle tier, which is not good because they're like, oh, why are your sales dipping? And I couldn't tell my managers, well, your product sucks. Yep. But that's really what it was. It was just a terrible product. So once I stopped believing in what I saw, that was a big problem. So what you were saying a minute ago about like believing in what you're selling is huge. Mm -hmm. Like today in, in my company, like I never saw anything that I don't believe in. That's not going to help the customer because I'm in the long-term realm. Like I, I'm not selling timeshares. I'm not selling anything that people just want and done. I'll never see you again. Yeah. No, I'm going to see you every single month, multiple times in the month. Yeah. I need to make sure that it's providing for, for your company. And that's where I think a lot of uh, salespeople if they feel like they're in that position where what they're selling isn't providing a value, they need to move on. I know that can be hard because like, oh, well, I'm not going to make commissions. I'm not going to have money coming in this month. Long term, you'll thank yourself. Just just leave. Go find something you actually want to do and can get behind and your life will be much better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think that's kind of... You know, obviously we have a very similar story in that and it's interesting i think that created some like really bad associations with sales for a mm -hmm. while and so now i've been on this path of like okay how do i build up that that new belief is obviously creating something that is of value and i truly do believe in but um even i was going through this new program that i that i invested in recently and one of the best exercises that i've done and I'm starting to realize how powerful this could be on any aspect of life. But they ask you to write down 50 reasons on why it's good for people to buy your product at the price point that you have it at. 50 reasons, that's a lot of reasons. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, you really gotta kind of tax your mind to go through that. So okay. what were like some of the top five for you? Like that you, you were like, these are the top five that everybody should buy what I'm doing. I mean, one of the biggest ones is, is it's clarity, really knowing who they are, yeah, what they want, but also it's, I've started becoming so much more connected to this because they also like they're having us really figure out our messaging, our client avatar, but also one big thing mm -hmm. that really stuck to me is who is your, like your enemy? Who is the, who is the, the thing or the person or the, it doesn't even necessarily be a person, but it could be like just the idea or, or some, whatever it is that you like despise. Yeah. That you're throwing rocks at. 
that like what you stand for does not that's the complete opposite and i realized that that's with like technology and social media and how it's just like pulling people's attention yeah and taking their vision away from them and i just i don't stand for that i really i really like obviously social media and technology is it's amazing but there's a lot of negatives associated with it because if you don't have strong boundaries around those things it'll suck you in well totally i mean it's the ultimate attention grabber of all time yeah you know um and i'm sure a lot of people have listened to this i i'm sure you've watched the social dilemma you know there's there's that there's um a lot of reports on like tiktok being the number one most addictive thing that was ever created and when you really like dissect some of these things, it is. It's so addictive. I remember I was like the holdout from TikTok. And then eventually, uh, Xenia, so she was running a lot of our social media and stuff for the podcast. She's like, we, you need to get on TikTok. You need to get on TikTok. I'm like, I've been avoiding it. I'm like, all right, whatever. So we get on it. And it's like the podcast thing. So I get on the first day and I start scrolling. I'm like, all right. And there's all of these scandally clad women mind you when i signed up i'm interested in cars sports nature and housing i think is what i I said and i see these scandally clad women i'm like uh what what is going on here i don't understand any of this and there wasn't anything for me to like now today i'm bombarded with like george peterson and joe rogan and these things because apparently it's picked up on like that's not me Mm -hmm. but the fact that that was the first thing that showed me told me that that's how they get people addicted by watching things that are not going to uh or are going to appeal to the masses right yeah and then i'm like who is liking this you know i'm a married man i've been married for 17 years i got three kids I'm not saying that these young women aren't beautiful. That's fine. I'm not into that. Be beautiful. Away from me. I don't care about that. I care about listening to actual thought-provoking things, right? But the fact that that's the least common denominator that they started with, when I got on the profile and I literally did nothing that would indicate that tells me that's how they start getting people addicted. But then it's a matter of like the notifications. I started seeing the TikTok notifications and these are like, so-and-so liked your post. They might've liked my post like four days ago, but they'll show me that same notification four times. What does that do? It gets people to log on to it again. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. Even when you try to get off of TikTok and you go back, it shows you one more video and it says click back again. So I started looking at these things, you know, well after the social dilemma. I'm like, I get it. If I were to design something to keep people on my platform, this is how I would design it. Because it's so placated to, number one, going after ego. And I, and I, I hate to say this, but the young women out there, in this world, they need to be the most uh, concerned about this because it is gamed against them. It is literally gamed to give them dopamine hits when people like things about them that is not something that should be shared with the world. And it's just a constant. I've seen it, and I've tried to abstain from watching all this stuff, but you observe things. It's scary. Instagram was kind of the initial you know, one that has done that, you know, for men and women. 
TikTok's doing that. So with social media, to your point, and I don't mean to be long-winded on this, but people really need to be careful and to put parameters around how they utilize it. Yeah. If you're utilizing it for yourself, if you're utilizing it to create a platform people can follow along with your lifestyle, great. But don't exaggerate your lifestyle either. Be you. Because the authentic you is really, it doesn't matter if you only have five people that buy into your authentic lifestyle, it's better than have a thousand that buy into a lie. And we see that every day. It's kind of sad. I'm, I received all that I'm figuring, deciding on how I want to respond because there's a few different avenues we could go. I think something that I, I really, that really kind of opened up my perspective with the whole dopamine, with the social media and why I am very passionate about like not loving social media and the, the, the negative effects it has is because I had an Instagram growth agency for a while. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Uh, I had a lot of clients that were, wow, to your point, wow. My best clients were attractive women. They were the accounts that grew the fastest. Sure. And so it gave me a negative association because I think what you said is the, the, the attractive females are, should be the most concerned about this because I, I feel like I almost got like a taste of like a micro celebrity. And I also kind of feel like that is the case too with like the podcast. Mm -hmm. But when you get that much attention for something that's like, I'm not even doing that much. I'm posting a picture online and yeah. I get thousands of likes because I, someone took me a picture while I was playing beanbags mm -hmm. and people are telling me how amazing I am because of that without even like really knowing me. Yeah. It's, it's creating an association that I, that's like this disconnect and again we come back to the whole concept of what i really stand for is connection it's like you're not really connecting with people and it's creating this negative association that hey my value is predicated on how people respond to me and respond to like me putting up something that's surface level right and it was interesting because i would i would rationalize it and i think that's something that happens a lot is like you post something and then it gets much like, oh, well, now I got to give my people what they want. Mm -hmm. And it's more of like, no, I got to post. It's like, I think it was uh, Steve Wynn, the guy that created the Wynn Hotels. Yeah. He talked about any behavior that is validated will get repeated. And so that's what happened. And no matter how much I, how evolved I became or how much I rationalized it, that's what happened. And right. it was just a dopamine feedback loop. I posted something, I got great feedback on it, I wanna do it again. Yep. And I've noticed that in, with social media even lately. Every time, whenever I'm posting and I'm getting a lot of feedback, mm -hmm. it creates this loop that I wanna stay on the platform more and I wanna do it more. Totally. And I totally agree, I'm like, I can't imagine what it's like to be an attractive woman posting all these things. Like, and you see like the taglines yeah. that are just like fun in the sun or so, whatever yeah, it is. Right. And then they get thousands of likes. Well, and it's like, it's to no fault of any of them because here's the deal. Like we, you, you mentioned this, right? You start telling yourself a story and the story is, well, obviously people like this. So I need to, Tell more of this story. You start to rationally lie to yourself. That's, you know, the rational lies, right? 
And then it's like you get into this cycle that never ends, you know, and I can't relate. I'm not a female. I, I can't relate to it. What I can say is what I've observed, but I've seen many times where it's like these, these girls that are, yeah, they're, they're attractive, but they're not trying to elicit. Some of them are, but a lot of them are trying to elicit this like crazy sexualized thing that's out there. But then they get all of this attention and they're humans. So the attention now starts to garner, well, I want more of that attention, even though it's probably more subconscious than conscious. Yeah. And then they do something else. The next thing you know, everything they're doing is to get the attention that they don't realize that they didn't need. And then it starts to pull apart from relationships that they have, like in real life. And it's like that for guys too. I, you know, I've, I've seen many guys, you look at Let's look at our biggest stars, right? And, you know, online. We'll look at the Jake Pauls of the world, the Logan Pauls. Mm. These guys are, you know, they're amazing. And the fact that they, here's what's amazing about them, is the fact that they're still living a life without being in an insane asylum. And what I mean by that is they're getting millions and millions of likes and comments and things by doing mundane, everyday life. Now, granted, I can't say mundane life is fighting, you know, some big guy mm. in, in the middle of a stage. Like, that's kind of the anomaly of their, their life. But if they post a picture of them getting coffee, you know, with their girlfriend or their wife, millions and millions of views and comments. They're used to that. When you get used to that, guess what you always want to do? You want to put that out. And that's how they make their money. They get their money because now they have this audience that will listen to them. And instead of Starbucks, it's, you know, Jake Bucks or whatever that they want to promote. And now they're, you know, making money off of it. But now they're trapped. Yeah. And they can't get off of it. They can't get out of the limelight. It's social media today is what Hollywood was when we were kids. Mm. Not to discredit Hollywood today, but Hollywood today is always on social media. Hollywood back in the day, though, was we would see these people at the Oscars. We would see them at the Grammys. We'd see them at all these, you know, the Tonys and all these different places. And they were now in a place where everybody wanted to be like them. They adored them. But social media wasn't putting this out. That's just what we watched on TV. Well, now there's a platform to where any Jake, John, or Jane can do the same thing. Yeah. But to get to that place is a very, very slippery slope. And what we're going to watch, what my prediction is, in the next 20 years, we're going to watch people that have had these huge successes, and they're going to be like the Macaulay Culkins of Home Alone. They're going to end up, and I hate to say this, but drug addicts seeking you know, affection from people that they don't ever need to seek affection from, never knowing who they are. And it's going to be this terrible cycle until they realize that they don't need to be in that cycle. But we watched it, you know, going back to the Hollywood days. We know that. We look at the people even that we watched and we admired back in the, the 90s, the, the 2000s, were in movies, that were in sitcoms. How many of them have normal lives? Screech from Saved by the Bell killed himself through drugs. Screech, of all people. So we saw this stuff happen. Social media is just this tool. It's given access for anyone right. to do that. So last year I was telling, I think you know uh, Dylan Pollard. Right, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So it's a friend of mine, and I was telling him the best, best book I read all last year, and, and there was quite a few books that were really good, but it was 
the uh, uh, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And I know you've read it, right? Incredible book. Incredible book because it was written in, I think it was 1927, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. 1927, 1933, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't released until 2012 because they were so afraid at this information. Number one, they thought Napoleon Hill was crazy. Oh, he had a conversation with the devil. But when you really go back, and I listened to this only last year, again, and it was released, you know, whatever, 10 years before. I'm like, wow. And I'd read Thinker Rich, I'd read Askita Riches, both of them several times. But this one was like, this was like it was written yesterday. Now they're just using different tools to take over people's minds. So we've seen it in Hollywood. We've seen it now with social media. It's just those that are using it the right way hopefully don't fall in that trap. But I think it's a slippery slope anybody can fall into. Yeah. And the the other thing I'll say on that is what I found, because I I, I feel like I experienced all of this on a micro scale. Yeah. Because when I had the agency, like obviously I was my, I took my account up pretty good and getting a lot of likes. But then, you know, the minute they change the algorithm and it doesn't favor you as much, or they want you to put ad dollars in to yeah. get the same type of exposure, you post something that used to get 2,000 likes and then now you're consistently getting 1,000 likes. You're like, what, what did I do? What is wrong with me? Right, that validation in your soul like yeah. starts to question things, right? And, and, and we're humans. How can we help that? We can't. We can't help that because unless it's built on a foundation of understanding that we are the product. Mm-hmm. In social media, you are the product. It doesn't matter if you know, you're a handsome young guy like yourself, a beautiful girl, or a business mogul worth billions of dollars. You're the product when you're on social media. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that when you really understand, it's kind of daunting. And it's, it's scary because... When you go from 2,000 to 1,000, what happens? What happened in your mind? What, what were you thinking? Like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And then when it continued to, to, on that trend, what do I need to change, right? So you kind of get into this, uh, how, do I, how do I adjust? How do we get things? And you're like in this reactionary mode. They created that. Yeah. They created that. That's what's scary about it all. So, you know, what I would say to anybody who is... In the coaching world, the influencer world, or even, you know, in the business world that's, you know, had some success on different levels, is remember that email marketing and your email list is the most important thing that you can ever have Mm. because that's one thing you can control. Instagram at any time can literally turn off what made you popular before. Facebook, TikTok, all these things, they can adjust their algorithm. But when you got an email list of people that actually know who you are and you're consistent with that, something you own. They can't take that away. Yeah. I've, I've had people that had their Instagram, their Facebook, their TikTok shut down and gone. What do you do then? That is, that's, that, that's scary. They have like, we're all <laughs> handcuffs, you know? Yeah. Just depends on what kind of handcuffs are they. Are they shitty handcuffs? Are they gold encrusted? Totally. And it's like, how do you take care of yourself out of that hand, those handcuffs? And I think a lot of it is what you and I are doing here. Granted, I mean, this, you know, depending on what you're watching here, there might be a clip you're seeing on one of these social media channels. But, you know, Paradox. you're going to have this on YouTube. You're going to have this on, you know, the podcast channels. And I know all of your episodes are on there as well. 
but you're also going to send out emails to those people that have subscribed, you know, to that and you can control that. Like, and that's your message can still get out that way. It's just in a lot of people's minds, it's not the fastest way, but you know how I still get notified of Tim Ferriss. And if you don't know who Tim, you know, Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah. So originally it was four hour work week. Then it was four hour body, four hour chef, you know, is, and then tools of Titans and, you know, but I think one other book, fantastic. I've always liked Tim. He always has been very intentional about his email list. So he does this, you know, if I think it's like five or yeah, five bullet Friday that he does every week. And he has for like 10 years, get on his email list, five things that impacted me this week, whether it's a book, whether it's a quote, all these types of things. Because of that, he's not relying on any of the social media platforms and he hasn't been. And he's been a multimillionaire year after year after year because of that. And he's probably the best example I've ever seen of it. Wow. Damn. We could go for hours. Oh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is great, man. I appreciate you having me on. I, I hope I didn't, you know, I wish I would have covered more in my story of whatever, but I think this was. Hey, that's how I feel about these episodes is like an hour is never enough. No, no, it's, it, it's not. But hey, man, if you ever want to have me back, I'm here and love to have you on again. Because that was a lot of fun. Let's make it happen. Cool. Well, cool, man. Anything you want to... Well, hold on. I want to ask a final question because I like to ask this one at the end. What are people saying at your funeral? People saying at my funeral? uh, What I'd like people to say and what I try to do is, you know, that Josh was very intentional with uh, me. Every time I talked to him, it seemed like the only person in the room. Uh, What I want my kids to say about me is that my dad loved me and was always trying to do everything he could to help us be better and to see the world as a positive, not a negative. You know, I want my wife to say that, you know, my husband wasn't perfect, but he loved me, loved our family, and he did everything on a daily basis to, you know, grow our world. So I just hope people that that are in my life realize that I, I really do work every day done being intentional on the person in front of me. And that's very important to me. That's amazing. That's such a good answer. Thanks. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for being on any last words or where can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on, uh, Instagram, which (laughs) (laughs) you can email me (laughs) now you can, uh, connect with me on Instagram, Joshua C Norris. Um, my email is J Norris, like Chuck, at brandendo.com, generous at brandendo.com, and brandendo.com is our digital agency. So mm-hmm. if you ever need any help on the in the digital world, we're there uh, to help. And then if you're in the local area, we own Regenerate IVs. So anybody who is feeling under the weather, you know, our mobile IV therapy company, our nurse will come out and help you out. So cool, man. Yeah, awesome, yeah. man. Again, thank you for being here. Anytime. Alrighty, my friend, thank you so much for listening to that episode of the Just Grow podcast. Truly appreciate your time. Know your time is extremely valuable. So to spend it with the Just Grow podcast, we truly appreciate it. If you did get value from this, make sure and share this with at least one friend that can get some value out of this that can help improve their life in some capacity. Uh, With that said, make sure and head over to justgrowvisions.com. You can join our free Facebook group where we go live every Wednesday night, where we have this very systematic structure and framework on how to craft a vision, get very clear on what you want, then turn it into reality 
very quickly. It's a really cool process. We've helped dozens of clients and now we have a free Facebook group where you can plug in every single week and just learn how we're doing this and then connect with amazing like-minded individuals. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Just Grow podcast. Make sure and share this. Appreciate you guys and we'll see you on the next one.